What a great morning, isn't it? It's so fun. Kids singing, baptisms. Uh, with that being said, I just want you to know uh, how grateful we are that you're here. I know that there are family that are here to support uh, grandkids or uh, um, uh, their own kids or whatever the case may be. We know that there are those who are visiting. And uh, listen, this is my prayer for, for all of us in our time today. We just sang about fixing our eyes on Jesus. We will look at a passage this morning that will uh, draw our attention to the same. And my hope is that what we are learning, what we are singing, is not just something that is theoretical in our head, but it is actually experiential in our heart. That we, that you've heard me say before that, that the preaching of God's word makes the gospel audible. The ordinances, baptism and communion, it makes it visible. And then I would hope that the spirit of God that is alive within each of us and working through us would create an environment around us as we relate to one another that the gospel comes alive within us and around us. And so that everything we do is centered on what Christ has made possible. And this place should be filled with joy and hope. And so I hope that that's what you experienced this morning um, while you're here. A few years ago, friends and I, we had a crazy idea. We thought we would train together and run the White Rock Marathon. And uh, what we learned early on in the process is that 26.2 miles is a really, really long way. But we stayed the course, we kept up with our training, and having never run a marathon, the whole experience was actually pretty new and exciting, because when we showed up, it was like a big party. I mean, they had music going, they had refreshments, and there was lots of excitement of everything that was happening there. And one of the things that I remember distinctly, having never done this before, that was kind of curious to me, is as we were getting closer to the beginning of the race, I started to see people gather in these little clusters around somebody who was holding a flag. And typically that flag had a, a time stamp on it, like two hours or, or two and a half hours or something along those lines. And I soon learned that these were what were called pace runners, okay? So if you wanted to finish the race in two and a half hours, then you followed the person holding that flag. These were very experienced. They'd run this race before, so they knew the course you weren't going to get lost. They knew the challenges and the difficult stages along the way. And they would routinely offer encouragement to everybody that was running alongside them. So that when your body was telling you, no, I can't, your pace runner was saying, hang in there. Yes, you can. I mean, it was really a cool thing to, to witness. And if you stayed close to the pacer, you knew how you were going to finish that race before it ever began. When we look at our passage this morning, we see a similar picture. The author actually draws on um, the imagery of an athletic event. He calls it the race that is set before us. In the original language, that word race can be translated as struggle or fight. And so I think the author wants us to understand that this race of faith, this journey of faith that we are on is not a walk in the park. And if you've lived very long, that's not new information, is it? But it's also not a sprint. It's not something that we do with these small bursts of energy. It's a marathon. As Eugene Peterson calls it, he says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. That's what we're on together. The author tells us to, to fix our eyes 
on Jesus. He's kind of like the pace runner in this marathon of faith. He knows the way because he's run the course before. He knows the difficulty and the challenges along the way. And if you'll stay close, he will give you encouragement and, and guidance as you go. The key to finishing well is to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because when you follow him, you know how it ends before you ever begin. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. Our faith came alive because of him. And he will perfect anything that he has started. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, as we enter into your word, we want to have our eyes wide open. We want to have our hearts wide open. We want to have our ears wide open so that the truth that you proclaim through the words which you spoke, that they will penetrate deeply into our hearts. They will impact how we live our daily lives so that the truths of Scripture become truths of of our life, how we relate to one another, and how we look to you. Lord, we just ask that you take these passages this morning and by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will open our eyes to see your truth in new and miraculous ways, that it would transform us like only you can do. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and I'd love for you to read along with me. Uh, beginning in verse 1, Hebrews 12, 1. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself that you will not grow weary and lose heart. These are some of my favorite words in all of the Bible, especially even here in the book of Hebrews, in large part because I think they give us such a, a beautiful mental picture of what the author's trying to help us see. If you can, just kind of imagine a, a stadium filled with people. If you went to the game last night, it's not hard to imagine. You were there. You experienced it. So imagine something like that. But then on the front row, the people right there closest to you on the field of play, as you're running this race of faith, are Noah and Moses and Abraham and Sarah and Rahab and Samson. And Elijah, all the people that we looked at in Hebrews chapter 11, that is the cloud of witnesses that are surrounding us. And their presence is a motivation, not an intimidation. And the reason is, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, we learned that, hey, these are people that are just like us, people of faith who have plenty of flaws and imperfections. And so they're there to, to cheer us on, to, to encourage us. They're there for motivation, not intimidation. They are a reminder of God's faithfulness, even amidst our flaws and imperfections. But our eyes are not on the people that are surrounding us. Our eyes are on the one who is leading us. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter 
of our faith, the one who brought our faith to life, the one who will finish what he started. We know with absolute certainty that that is true because of what we read in Philippians chapter 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 6. He actually begins in this verse. I don't think we have it in here, but he says, this I am confident about, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. He will complete it. He is the author. He is the perfecter, the creator and sustainer of our salvation. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we know that he will lead us. He has run the race before us. He understands what it means to to finish well. So we need to stay close to him. And in order for that to happen, In order to keep that pace, to stay close to Jesus, the author tells us that we must lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. It's this idea of of removing distractions, of releasing burdens that, that hold us back. I mean, can you imagine... Okay, think about this. Can you imagine running a marathon, 26.2 miles, wearing a weighted vest, a heavy backpack, and your shoestrings tied together? Okay, that's what he's talking about here. That, it's miserable. There would be nothing that would be enjoyable about that experience. In fact, some would even say it's impossible. So lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us because sinful habits slow us down. They are distractions that get us off track. They, they lead us down dark paths. Instead of following Jesus, we, we focus on fulfilling selfish desires. And notice how he describes it. It's an interesting way. He says, the sin that so easily entangles us. In some ways, that's comforting because it helps us see that, that the reality of sin entangling us is something that is common to all humanity. And we all kind of have our weaknesses and our propensities, don't we? I mean, sometimes that sin that so easily entangles us is is lust. Sometimes it's worry. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's gossip. These are places we are naturally weak when we are relying on our own strength. See, very often in my own life, I've found that these are coping mechanisms things that I am drawn towards to deal with difficulty or stress. So, in order to deal with pain, we might turn to alcohol. We might find distraction from stress by just surfing the web, scrolling through social media. We can get lost in what-if worry, and then our, and our mind starts to wonder in all these horrible scenarios that we create for ourselves. Or maybe we just isolate. We just withdraw from people because we don't want to deal with hard situations or reconcile relationships that have been broken. Instead of looking to Jesus, here's what we're doing. We're taking shortcuts, trying to find pleasure to cover our pain making small little compromises that turn into heavy, sinful burdens. So he says, lay them aside. These are the sins that so easily entangles us, places that we are weak because we're trying to rely on our own strength instead of trusting in Jesus. 
but he also highlights hindrances that are not inherently sinful. He says, lay aside every encumbrance, okay, that's one thing, and then sins that so easily entangle us. So the encumbrances are not necessarily sinful, but they still have the potential to weigh us down. I believe these are things that are like money, ambition, relationships, even hobbies. These are good things that in the wrong way, if we use them in the wrong way, can become things that actually pull us away from our focus on Jesus. Because if you pursue anything, even if it's a good thing, with more passion than you pursue Jesus, then it becomes the wrong thing. These are encumbrances that can so easily entangle us. It's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He will, either be, he will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, you can't serve two things like God and money or God and ambition or God and the approval of other people. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Run after him with your greatest affection. Follow his example. Looking beyond the limits of this world. Instead of a short-term pleasure, look towards the, the true and lasting joy of an eternal reward. Verse 3, for consider him who has endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, Jesus experienced opposition in his life that you and I will never, ever know. He, he was mocked. He was wrongly accused. He was beaten. He was crucified. And not one time, okay, don't miss this, not one time did Jesus rely on his divinity to endure the difficulty. Not one time. As we learned back in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus endured because he relied on the very same promise of provision that God has given you and I. There was nothing that he relied on in his divinity that superseded his humanity that gave him the unique ability to overcome something that you and I don't have. So when you face hostility from others for what you believe, whether that's your boss, whether that's your professor, whether that's your own family, don't lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Endure difficulty with a steady determination. Rely on God's faithful provision. And like we see in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says, Rejoice when you've been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Look at how it continues in our passage in verse 4. It says, You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. 
So I think the author is reminding us of a couple of things in these three verses. Number one, he says, you have not shed blood. Really, more literally, you have not suffered death in your struggle against sin, which I think in some ways is a reminder of what Jesus accomplished for us because sometimes I think we run this race as if the outcome is yet to be determined, (laughs) and it's not. Hebrews 10, 12 says, He, having offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. So when we follow Jesus, remember when we stay closely to him, we know how the race ends before we ever begin. The victory has been won. The eternal reward is secure. We are not running to win this race. We are pursuing a prize that has already been won. That's why Paul says, listen closely to what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. It's what we just said. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's laying aside the encumbrance of his past, and he's reaching for that future reward. The prize of eternal life that has been secured in Jesus Christ. This is the promised reward for everyone with enduring faith. So don't lose sight of Jesus. And then number two, don't forget what God has said. That's essentially what's being communicated there in verse 5 where it says, You have forgotten the exhortation which has been addressed to you as son. And then he quotes from the book of Proverbs, which, interestingly, is a book written from a father to a son. And so, if you belong to God as a son or a daughter, these words are also written to you. It's a reminder not to despise discipline. To recognize that, look, hardship comes in many forms, and sometimes it is hostility right? We endure persecution because people are adamantly opposed to us because of our faith, and their intention is to do harm, okay? That's one of the hardships that we will face in our life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, okay? That's part of it, but there's another part of it in discipline, but this is different. Discipline is different than hostility, Because instead of causing harm, the goal here is to help us move towards our highest good. It's the assurance that God's correction is ultimately for our protection. As we see in verse 6, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Which means that God loves you enough to intervene and to not let you go your own way unencumbered, right? You've heard me say before, and I really believe this is true, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. It's someone who doesn't care enough to intervene and get involved. And that's not true for God. You belong to him. You are his son and in his daughter. And when you are moving towards something that is harmful, he will intervene to lead you towards something better. That's what discipline is all about. Look how he continues in verse 7. I think you'll see this unfold. He says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. 
And what son is there who his father does not discipline? But if you were without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and, and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, and he disciplines us, there it is, for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems, to be, uh, is, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who've been trained by it, afterwards it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. So I think the author is helping us see here that in the end, discipline is used by God for training. Training for endurance. He's building the strength of our faith. Just think of an athlete who's, who's training for something, who's training for a competition. Do they not put themselves in situations that are difficult, that are challenging, right? They put on extra weight when they're trying to lift weights. They go an extra distance when they're trying to run and build up their strength. You see, all too often, we want God to change our circumstances, but God wants to use our circumstances to change our heart. All too often, we want God to change difficult circumstances. That's our prayer many times. Lord, take this away. But in many of those cases, the Lord wants to use those difficulties to do something to change our heart. Verse 11, the author explains that the the blessing is born out of enduring difficulty. He says it yields fruit. There's something that's produced in your life. He says it's the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And notice he doesn't say anything about the difficulty going away. That that fruit is being produced even in the midst of it. Because God can take what is happening around us and use it to change what is going on within us. This is the peace that we experience even in the midst of the storm. It's the fruit of righteousness in a world that is filled with corruption, but only if our eyes are fixed on Jesus. I know many of us, when we hear that phrase, you can't help but think about Peter, right? Remember when he was in the boat, Jesus comes walking on water, and Jesus calls him out on the water. Peter looks at him straight in the eye, steps over the edge of the boat, walks on water. It's an incredible, miraculous event until what? He takes his eyes off Jesus, and he begins to look at the the winds and the waves around him, and then he begins to sink. I think the author is trying to help us understand that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, trusting that he uses hard things, no matter what the source, whether that's hostility against us or discipline that is intended to redirect us to a higher good. They can all be used by God to build our faith. Even uses discipline to bring about our highest good. I think that's just the idea that's built within that very familiar verse of Romans 8.28 where it says God uses all things, hostility, discipline, difficulty, even our mistakes. He can work within all of those things to bring about his highest good for those who are called according to his purpose. Look at how he continues in verse 12. It says, therefore, 
Strengthen hands that are weak and knees that are feeble. And make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. See, when we run a marathon, when we run that race of faith, it's an individual race. Nobody can make, your, make decisions for you. Your faith has to be your own. But we do this together. It's a group effort. I remember when I ran uh, did my first triathlon. I'd never done anything like that before. I was not very good. I was coming out of the swim, and I was very slow. I was getting on the bike. I was riding out of the bike course, and already there were people who were coming in on the bike as I was just now getting started. But those people, here's what amazed me. I'll never forget it because it shocked the living daylights out of me. As they were coming in, they were encouraging me as I was going out. They were looking me right in the eyes saying, hey, you're doing a good job. Don't give up. Keep going. It was something I had never experienced before. Because even though it was an individual race, everybody was out there to encourage one another. Which is precisely what we've seen in the letter of Hebrews so far. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 said, encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. Hebrews 10.25 told us, don't forsake your gathering together. Don't look past what's happening right now on a day like today. But instead, use this as an opportunity to encourage one another towards love and good deeds, and even more as you see the day drawing near. We may be running our own race, but we are called to encourage those around us, to strengthen weak hands so that they can hold firm to the message of God's Word. Because as we see in verse 5, it's easy for any of us to forget what God has promised. So really, we are all in the ministry of reminding one another of what is good, what is right, what is true. But we are also called to strengthen feeble knees. When you see that phrase in Scripture, it's often referring to fear. Listen to Isaiah chapter 35, verse 3. It says, strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. What that tells us is if we're running this race of faith and we come along somebody who's struggling, we don't run past them. We slow down to run with them, to encourage them. Michael Haverdink, we remember running the marathon together. We ran together from start to finish, and I feel quite confident neither one of us would have finished if we didn't have the other one with us. And that's the idea here. We are intended to do this together, to encourage one another. We clear paths, remove obstacles. If someone has an injury, we want them to be healed. We want them to turn their eyes towards Jesus, and we want to walk down that road with them. In the end, I think what's being described here in its simplicity is discipleship. It's Philippians 1.27. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Here it is. Striving together for the sake of the gospel. Life on life. Enduring difficulty together. It's like you hear people talk about when they're in the military. If you guys have been, anybody of you ever served, you've heard this before. Leave no one behind. That's the mess, that should be the motto of the church as well. Leave no one behind. We are in this together. Here in a moment, we're going to celebrate baptism. In fact, 
while I'm thinking about it, if you are being baptized this morning, go ahead and go to your respective rooms. So girls will be on my left, guys will be on my right. Um, Y'all go ahead and get ready for the good stuff that's coming. But these are people within our church family who have made a public profession of their faith in Jesus Christ. They are expressing a desire to live an enduring faith. But with that testimony, okay, eyes on me. Eyes on me. Because this is important. With that individual testimony, you and I, as a church, have a responsibility. As a church family, when they are publicly professing their commitment to follow Jesus Christ, we are publicly responding with the decision to walk alongside them as they do. To strengthen weak hands and feeble knees. To make straight paths. To heal wounds. We are in this together. Intentional discipleship. Life on life is essential for any of us to have an enduring faith. Because here's the reality, and we all know this to be true. We all have seasons when our, weak, when our knees are weak with doubt, don't we? We all have seasons when our path is filled with persecution, Sometimes hostility towards us with something fizzle like somebody you know, your boss, or maybe somebody in your own family. Sometimes it's just spiritual warfare where you can't see anything, but you know somebody's against you. Am I right? And so these are realities that we have all experienced somewhere along the way, including stumbles, places that we've failed, those areas of weakness that we are inclined towards when we start relying on our own strength. So we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to rely on His faithful provision. We need to focus on the hope of our future reward, believing that God will give us the grace to endure. It's one of His promises. One of my favorite passages is familiar to you. It's in Isaiah chapter 40, and it lines up so well with what we've been talking about this morning. Be comforted by these words. As I read them, it says, He, God, gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Be confident that he has gone before you. Be confident that he is right there with you and that he gives you the grace to endure. And remember, we're not running to win the race. We are reaching for the prize that has already been won. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the simple, simple reminder Everyone in this room can walk out of here this morning with those three words on their mind. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Actually, that's four words, but you know what I meant. But Lord, you know that that simple truth is enough to strengthen us in our weaknesses. It's it's, it's enough to pull us away from the distractions in the world around us. It's enough to bring healing and hope in places that we've failed.
that if we fix our eyes on you, that you, the author, the creator, and the one who ultimately sustains our faith, the one who is in this moment perfecting it and will one day complete it, that you are with us, that you are for us, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us. So, Lord, may we fix our eyes on you. And as we do, may we gather around with the people around us and run this race together, strengthening weak hands and feeble knees, encouraging one another, and even more as we see the day drawing near. And, Lord, we do. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And until that day, may we live with an enduring faith, with a steadfast hope, and with a certain assurance of the reward that awaits us because of the prize that has already been won. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.